Speaking of hard, uh, as we've been journeying through the Ten Commandments, you know what's one thing that's kind of difficult? You know what's difficult? is for us to sometimes see that we're guilty of the things that I've been preaching on week after week. Have you ever had that trouble where you're thinking to myself, well, you know, pastor, you've preached on some really like, you know, big deal sins. You've preached on idolatry and adultery and, and, and you're going to be talking about, and you've talked about murder. And, and today we're going to be talking about thou shalt not steal. Uh, pastor, I, I mean, that, those are for everybody else though, right? Wrong, wrong. These commands are for you and I in as much as they are for anyone else on the face of this world. They are for you and I. Let me give you a really good example of why. Most of you know my family, I, I, I love Disney, okay? And, 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 and I, I was reading uh, just a couple of weeks ago that uh, theft at Walt Disney World, there is one night or a couple of nights out of the entire year where theft out of their stores and all that stuff is through the roof. You want to know when it is? It's in a weekend, and it's, well, there's one coming up soon called Night of Joy. You know what Night of Joy is? It is a weekend where folks come in to listen to, their, to the most popular and famous Christian artists. So the park is literally flooded with youth groups and church people. That weekend, according to their statistics, is the highest weekend for theft. You know what that tells me? What theft tells me is that it's not so much the product, but how we choose to fill voids in our life. And that's what theft is all about. Us trying our hardest to fill a void that is within our lives and in our hearts or in our souls, however you want to put it. And it can, we can call it the God-shaped hole where there's something missing. And, and have you ever thought about it that, that sometimes there are people, and maybe you've been one of them, where you are so destitute for something, for fulfillment, that you will choose to rob someone or something to try to make up for what you're missing in your life. You see, it's more than just products and, and something with a monetary value. We can steal from God. Book of Malachi chapter 3 verse 18 says that we can rob God by, by not giving our tithes and offerings. We can rob people of happiness. Did you know that? We, we, we can be negative towards someone. We can gripe and complain, criticize someone, and we can rob them of joy that God has just put into their lives. Webster's Dictionary defines stealing as to take the property of another person wrongly, to take secretly or without permission, to take away by force or by unjust means, to seize, gain, or win by trickery or daring. However, in the book of Exodus, as you go ahead and turn there, maybe you're already there, Deuteron uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter 20. Let us turn there now. And I'm actually going to read two verses to you it's one thing for Webster to define something, but let's look at what the Scripture defines as stealing. If you have your Bibles there, let's go ahead and stand together, because I'm going to read two passages of Scripture. and um, One is in Exodus chapter 20, the other is in Ephesians 4. It simply says in verse 15 of Exodus 20, You shall or thou shalt not steal. But take your finger and hold that spot and go over to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and listen to verse 28. 
The Bible says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Notice that the that the condemnation of stealing is tied to a purpose that God has given to each and every one of us for productivity, for God's sake. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that as we approach your word and we seek to to, to break apart these phrases and words and kind of get into your mind as best as possible that we will see, first of all, that, that maybe we are more guilty than what we are willing to admit. But that, Father, you have a redemptive plan, not just for sin, but, but, for, but God, you have a redemptive plan that involves us. That we are part of your plan to be in this world and not of it. But while we are in this world, we make a difference. And we bring glory and honor to your name. And Father, I pray that this sermon, I don't care if it offends someone. Lord, it doesn't bother me if I don't get everything said according to my notes. Father, I'm only concerned with one thing this morning. I want to make sure that at the end of this time together, you are happy. That you will be happy with the results of this worship service and the sermon that I will deliver. So Father... May you take this as our offering to you. And may you be glorified and lifted up. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Stealing. As Webster defined it was, in those phrases I gave you a moment ago, is taking secretly or taking wrongly or to gain by trickery or The Hebrew word for stealing, however, has nothing to do with that. Did you know? The Hebrew word that's translated in our English as stealing, the Hebrew word means to kidnap. Now that paints a different picture, does it not? Because you can't kidnap something that you own already. Kidnapping means you are taking something that doesn't belong to you that you don't legally possess or have stewardship rights over. And think about what we can kidnap this in our lives. Think about, think about God being in this picture because this verse is actually all about God. It's, it's, it's not so much about, uh, or it is about us and, and property and, and all of that stuff. But this verse is also about God. And the concept of stealing brings up several questions and statements about our possessions. The title of this sermon is No Other Possessions. Let me ask you this. Don't shake your head. Don't raise your hand. Don't indicate to anybody around you, or myself included, how you'd answer this question. But are you satisfied with what God has given you? Are you okay with your lot in life? From one side of this auditorium to the other side, there is a variation of the way God has chosen to bless us financially, family. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of litmus tests. There's all sorts of scorecards that you could keep. 
but are you happy with what you've got? If not, let's think about the questions that come up, or at least the statements that come up about God related to the stealing. Number one is this. Stealing questions God's authority automatically. Stealing, taking, you acquiring by, by some means that is not legal or right or ethical, and no matter what it is, you are automatically questioning God's authority. Why? Because the Scriptures have determined that He is the owner of everything. He is the sole possessor. We are given a, a limited, a brief time on this earth to be a steward over a portion of what God owns. That's why the Hebrew word is so important. Kidnapping. Stealing is kidnapping. Listen to these verses. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 15. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. You shall glorify me. God says, it's all mine. All the money that's in your purse and pocketbook and wallet right now belongs to him. And he knows whether or not when the ushers are going down the aisle, if you gave that right amount or not. He knows when you go home tonight and today and, and tomorrow as you begin your week and as you enjoy that day off for most of you, this Labor Day, the time that you have is not even yours. We're on borrowed time. The resources you have in your home, the clothes on your back, the car in your driveway, I don't mean to be political, but it was said months and months ago that what you have, you didn't own it, you didn't build it, you didn't whatever. Theologically, that's a true statement. You have what you have because God has chosen to bless you and chosen to give you what he deems appropriate. When we steal and we kidnap and we rob, we are saying to God, you are not in charge. You are not in control. I am and I will take as I see fit. Here's the big problem. By kidnapping, you automatically invalidate one huge, big, important verse in the Bible. Romans 8.28. You know Romans 8.28. Y'all like to claim it. For I know that all things will work together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Well, how can you let that verse be appropriate in your life when you're taken as you see fit? That's the problem. We, 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 we think that we can just control and take and do whatever. Wait a minute. Let's let God be in control. And if he promises me that all things will work together, then I don't have to have all the things I may think I have to have. God's in control. He's in charge. He has authority. I'll let him decide. What's appropriate? Number two, stealing questions God's blessings to you. 
Now, if there's a show of hands, I'd like to just see it this morning. Is there anyone in here who's never been blessed? I just want to, because we'll, we'll talk after the service. I just need to know who you are. Nobody, no, nobody in here says, I, I've never been blessed of God. Okay, good, good, good. So we all admit we've all been blessed to some degree or another. Well, if God owns everything and he is absolutely in, in control, and if he has blessed you, health, wealth, prosperity, family, whatever, sometimes I think blessings come in, in the small things, you know? Our, our children got some chickens or little chicks this spring, and now they've grown up, and we've got a hen house for them. I think eggs are a little blessing, you know? Well, number one, eggs are getting kind of expensive at a grocery store. Y'all been to a grocery store lately? They're getting kind of, kind of expensive. And we go out to the hen house, and I take Sarah, Elijah, we go out there, and we go look, and we, you know, a little black, God just provide. Just something sim- simple like that. It's time, you know, it, it, the kids get to learn a little bit about poultry and all that stuff, and it's just, it's just a cool little thing. I just think about blessings, yeah, in the big stuff, and I know that you did, but sometimes I just see blessings in the little things. But if I choose to acquire by my own means and my own way, I am automatically questioning what God has given to me already, as if to say it's not enough. Those verses that I just read to you a moment ago, those two passages from Psalms, especially the Psalm 51, theologians will say that that was a song that was sung when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple. What difference does that make? Well, think about what was in the ark. There were three items in the ark. The book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9. Two of those were pretty important. One was a jar of manna. A jar of manna was, was a way of, of God displaying and reminding Israel that he will provide. There was Aaron's staff, which was a reminder for Israel and also us that God will lead. He will take us to where he needs us to go. Finally, there was a copy of the law. The Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, which reminds us that God has a system and He has a way, and His way is perfect. And by kidnapping and by robbing the Lord or others, and both, we forget that God's blessings aren't fitting. I read a story a long time ago, and I was reminded of it in preparing this sermon of a guy by the name of, of, of Emmanuel Ninger. There's a picture of him. I want you to see his face because this story is important. Emmanuel Ninger and his wife immigrated to America from Germany and they settled in Hoboken, New Jersey in 1876. Emmanuel took a job as a sign painter. That's what he did for a living. And he was good really good as a sign painter. Later, they bought a little farm and moved out into a a rural area of of New Jersey, Westfield, I believe it was. And there they settled down and he continued his work and his labor. Got to know friends and, you know, neighbors and just settled down, made a good, 
life for himself. Emmanuel was at the store one day picking up some goods and groceries and what have you. And he handed the clerk whom this young girl, he knew her from, from, I mean, they just were friends. Handed her a $20 bill and as she began to make change, her hands were a little damp from the groceries. And as she put the $20 bill into the register, some of the ink rubbed off from the bill and onto her hands. And strange. We didn't think much of it, but just put it in there and gave Mr. Ninger his change and out the door he went. But the, the cashier lady was just still kind of puzzled and, and she decided to call the police. She just didn't know what else to do. She called the police and they took the bill from the register and examined it and quickly found out it was counterfeit. It was counterfeit. Emmanuel Ninger, this talented artist, decided to go into counterfeiting business and started counterfeiting 10, 20, 50, and $100 bills. Police were summoned to his home, and in his attic, they found the whole operation. And this guy was good. Let me give you an example. The picture I have right here is of a legitimate $100 bill during the time that he lived. Isn't that intricate? You see? The next picture? He hand-painted that. That's how good he was. Took him hours upon hours upon hours to meticulously hand-draw all those little lines, all those little things. Go back to the original picture. Now look at the counterfeit. Amazing, isn't it? The story doesn't end there. The police found three paintings that Mr. Ninger had painted during this time of his counterfeiting. This is circa 1876. Those three paintings were sold at auction to help repay the bills and all the things that had accumulated from his theft. The three paintings brought in, in 1876 money, $16,000. Now, that's a lot for me anyway. But I happened to, I just wanted, I was curious. With inflation, how much would it have cost today? So um, I, there's a calculator that you can use and, and a formula and some math and everything. And, and the calculator that I use only went back to 1913 to calculate for, 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 for inflation. And I typed in $16,000 American currency for inflation from 1913 to 2015. What would the value of $16,000 be right now? Anybody want to take a guess? $460,000. Now, that's only go, that only went to 1913. That was the earliest that the records uh, re- regarding that. You go back all the way to 1870, wouldn't it be safe to say this was over half a million dollars? Now, here's my point. Emmanuel Ninger, for the sake of a $100 bill, chose to spend more hours on falsifying legal tender than painting masterpieces that would have fetched way more money. 
It's an invaluable waste of time and resources and energy. The person that he stole from more than anything, you know who it was? Himself. He robbed himself more than he robbed anybody else. When we steal, we question what God has given to us. And by doing so, we turn out to rob ourselves more. Number three, stealing questions God's blessings to others. It's stealing questions God's blessing to others. This is where the text in Ephesians comes in. You see, stealing prohibits me from being a blessing to others. The Bible says, listen, we are to be hard at work. Lead a productive life. Why? So that you will have something to share with anyone in need. In other words, this theology of Ephesians 4.28 is not one that supports steal from the rich and give from the poor or give to the poor. That's not a biblical concept. No, the word says we are to work hard. We're to labor, do honest work with our own hands so that we can share. You see, stealing questions the fact that we can be a blessing to someone else. You say, Pastor, I don't know how much I have to offer. You have a lot to offer, beginning, first of all, with your presence. Did you know that your presence can be a blessing? You know the greatest compliment or most often heard compliment that I've ever received in my time as a pastor, when I've been by the bedside in a hospital or in the living room during planning, planning a funeral or what have you, Pastor, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. It wasn't my words. It wasn't necessarily or always what I was able to do or get accomplished. Pastor, just thank you for being here. I bet you've heard that compliment too yourself. Thank you for being here. Stealing is also that way in which we rob others from the blessings they could have received from the Lord. Maybe the thing that we're taking is something God intended for them. Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 8 says, Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship. We kept working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. This was Paul's words to the church in Thessalonica. You know what, his, you know what the context was? You know, Paul was a tent maker. He worked his way in ministry and during all of his ministry trips. He said, guys, we don't want to take something from you that God intended for you. We wanted to work our own. We're going to provide our way. God's going to bless us just as he's blessed you. And I don't want to take a blessing from you that I could have provided on my own or, or God could have worked through on my own. I want you to consider this true story. I read about it this past week and it has, it has just resonated in my heart and it, it just my heart aches after reading the story. This is a it was online on a discussion forum about etiquette and morals. This young girl wrote, listen to her post. She says, I'm a 19-year-old girl. I had the habit of stealing when I was 14 years old. And this matter is tormenting me a great deal now. After repenting, because I, I know that my repentance will not be accepted unless I give back to the people what is rightfully theirs. But I do not have enough money to do that. What should I do? I hope that you will help me so that my repentance will be accepted. This was the answer. What you mentioned about not being able to return the money is no justification for taking this matter lightly. Try to collect the money from, 
from sources such as gifts or work and so on, and then give this money to its rightful owner and tell them frankly if that will not cause embarrassment or or lead to harmful consequences. If being frank will cause too much embarrassment, then you can give it to them in in a discreet way that will not cause any trouble between you and them. If you cannot return the money because of the amount is too great and you cannot afford it, then you can ask the owners to forgive you. Sound advice? That sound pretty good? Here's what's interesting. The website is a Muslim website. IslamQ&A.net But if I had not told you that, that sounds very much like some church people talking, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But here's where it really gets separated. Listen to the last statement that this commentator made to this young girl. If you can't return the money because the amount is too great and and you cannot afford it, then, then ask the owners to forgive you. But then the answer continues. We hope that the Lord, or God in this case, we hope that He would forgive you. We hope. At the end of the day, was this girl helped or hindered? I'm going to say she was more hindered. What do you mean you hope you're forgiven? I don't know what dialogue you may have ever had with a Muslim. I've had many. One of the things that you can really get them to thinking on is this, the security of salvation and that God can forgive you. I bring this story up for two reasons, and that's one of them. But the other is this. The whole concept of stealing and robbing someone is just kind of built into our DNA. No matter what religion or no matter what culture you're in, I mean, the concept of taking something that doesn't belong to you, it's kind of just, we're wired that way. And then number four, stealing questions God's judgment. Stealing questions God's judgment. It means that we just know better than he does. God, you you don't know my life. You don't know my needs. Yes, I do, says the Lord. I know you perfectly. I, I have every hair on your head numbered. For some, that ain't a hard task including me. God says, I I know when a little sparrow falls to the ground. And I love that old gospel song, His eye is on the sparrow. He's watching over me. I may not have what I'd love to have. You may not have everything that you think is coming to you. But we must not question God's judgment. His timing is perfect. His ways are holy. But see, this mindset even begins back in Genesis. Listen to Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. To Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. From out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you'll return. God says, listen, I know your life, and I know the ways of this world better than you do. And if I give you a certain set of rules or some expectations, by all means, honor them, or there are consequences to pay. You see, Adam's theft was a spiritual theft. Just as sometimes our stealing can be done in spiritual ways as well. We can rob the Lord. We can rob one another of joy. We can rob one another of blessings and rob one another of happiness. We can sow discord. We can gossip and we can do all these sorts of things. Because we're not, listen, because we're not happy with our own lot in life. And I feel sorry for folks like that. I feel sorry for the ones who feel like they can only be happy if they're stirring up trouble. Because listen, it shares more and it tells more about who they are and what is not in their life than it does about the people they try to talk about. You see, God has a plan. God has a plan for you. And sometimes we will go through what feels like hell on earth. It does not mean God's done with you. He has a plan. Be content with what he has given you. Be content with the things that you don't have. And let Romans eight twenty eight be effective in your life. By letting God just be in control. You know, the consequences of our sin can sometimes be dramatic, can it not? It affects other people. It affects us. Years and years ago, in, in, in a culture that's no longer present in England, these two, two Englishmen, they were sheep herders. They were brothers. And they were caught stealing sheep. And as was the culture and that, as it permitted... Part of their punishment was to have the letters S-T branded on their foreheads to declare to everyone that they were a sheep stealer or sheep thief, excuse me. A sheep thief, S-T. One of the brothers who was branded S-T, just he quickly gave up on life. He fled and tried to get settled into another community, found that he couldn't. And he died full of bitterness and buried in a forgotten grave. The other brother determined that he was going to make a difference, that he was going to do something with his life, even still, and make the best of his circumstances. So he stayed in his neighborhood, and he said, I'm going to win back the respect of my neighbors and have my own self-respect again. Years passed, and this young boy who was a sheep thief grew old and was feebled and stayed in that community for years and years. At long last, another stranger came up that, uh, into that village, and he was, himself was trying to get uh, acclimated to this little community and get situated and, and uh, earn a living and take care of his family. And 
he had befriended some, some men in the community, and one of these men he was sharing a, a meal with at a, at a local diner, cafe area there in, in the middle of this village, and, and on their way out, they see uh, this hobbled old man walking with a cane and taking very short steps, but getting to his destination nonetheless. And this stranger, this new guy in town, looked at this older gentleman and kind of squinted in his eyes. He noticed that on this old man's face, was, his forehead was the letters S-T. And so he turned to his, his, his new buddy and said, uh, what's the deal with this man here with the scar of these letters S-T? After thinking for a while, this villager uh, told the new guy, he said, well, um, it happened a long time ago, and I've really forgotten all the particulars, but I think the letters are an abbreviation for saint. And there it is. The wonderful grace of God in the penitent, believing heart can change and transform the character of any person and turn the very scars of sin into a badge of honor and beauty. Sometimes it seems like we may have the stigma of sin all over us and we can't wash it off or get rid of it and no amount of moving or doing whatever feels like we could ever shake it. But I promise you, listen to me closely, I can promise you that's not the case. There is never a sin that will ever take you away from the grace of God so far that you can't ever get it again. And the person that tries to tell you that and tries to make you feel that way They're a scum-sucking dog. That's who they are. Because that's not my God. Yes, it may take time. Yes, some wounds are very deep, and the healing will take some time. But God has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He has determined what? we're allowed to have. He's, he's kind of determined over the course of your life what you can handle and what you probably can't. But let me ask you this. What are you robbing and from whom are you robbing right now to try to fill that void in your life? From whom are you taking? What are you taking? Because I can promise you that you won't be satisfied after you have it. It's kind of ironic that in this command of stealing, we had hanging next to Jesus on the cross a thief, one who stole. And you talk about a night of joy. This was this man's greatest night of joy. when he turned his head as best as he could, if even at all, but at least in words that he could make audible to the gospel writer, but most importantly to Jesus himself, who was hanging right next to him. Lord, would you remember me? You know very well the words that were spoken. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Have you ever experienced that forgiveness yourself? 
Hmm? Have, you, have you ever experienced what it's like to go before the Lord and say, would you just remember me? Acknowledge me. I am a thief. I'm a murderer. I'm an adulterer. I'm an idol worshiper. I am all of these things. So are you. But the greatest joy that we could ever have is by turning to a Jesus who says all is forgiven. Come to me. That's what I'm asking you to do. Come to me. Jesus is asking, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Come to me who are brokenhearted. Come to me who are down and out. Come to me who are struggling in your finances. Come to me who is struggling at home. Come to me if you're struggling in your marriage. You come to me. There is no need ever more for you to take something that doesn't belong to you to try to make you happy anymore. You take from me, Jesus says, what I am free to give, and I will give in abundance. I will offer you forgiveness in my name. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you, God, for your plans of my life and of the lives of everyone in this room. But also, God, you have a plan for this world. And your great plan included redemption for all mankind, for any and all who would just simply come and place their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But Father, it goes even deeper than that. Father, sometimes our relationships get wounded. Sometimes we separate ourselves from you, willingly or unwillingly, but it happens. Sometimes, God, we forget that you're in control and we just try to take matters into our own hands. Sometimes, God, we just we, we think that we're better off if we try to provide something that, that you haven't given yet or, and we, well, we need it now. And we mess up in the process. Father, I don't, I don't know where the hearts of those here this morning, I don't know where they all are. I, I don't know where they are in, in their walk with you. and I just don't know. But I do know this, Lord. There is no shame. There is no need for any shame or guilt or, or any such thing for those who come and place their trust in you who come and seek forgiveness and the covering of their sins by the blood of Jesus. So, Father, I pray that in this time of response, whatever it may be, for everyone that is here, God, I just pray that it will be done in your will. In Jesus' name that we pray.